This is In Hindsight, Half a Century of Research Discoveries in Canadian History, presented by Dr. Donald B. Smith and produced by the Ontario Historical Society. Episode 2. In this episode, I'd like to explain how I changed, how I was transformed from an internationalist to a Canadianist, from an enthusiast for world history into one of my own country, into a Canadian historian. And this story, it's a flashback from episode one. We're going to go from 1974, back to 1968, and actually a little bit before that, the mid-1960s, because I really was a student of world history. That was my passion until the late 1960s, and this transformation is important because what we're doing in this series of old-fashioned radio broadcasts is to explain my discoveries in Canadian history. And so I must immediately, at this point in episode two, flip into the Canadian history side. So let's do that. In At the University of Toronto in 1966, I was in third year, and it was imperative, it was compulsory for us to take Canadian history in the Honours History Program. That was a compulsory course. And I was reluctant about that because I wanted to do British, European, and uh, American, and also African and Latin American. Oh, actually, it was Latin American and Russian. Those are the two new fields that were open. I wanted to take more courses in those fields, but it was obligatory to take a Canadian history survey course, and that, is, that I did. And I'm delighted I did. It was, a, it was a turning point. It really was. I didn't know it at the beginning. But within a year or so, I, I would. Uh, the Canadian history, a friend of mine, he told me that, oh, you, yes, you're going to take the Canadian survey. What you should do is get in the tutorial of Carl Berger. He was a young PhD student. And uh, my friend had knew all about his, his way of conducting his tutorials. And he was very impressed. And uh, uh, got me, and I fortunately got in uh, as a student of in his tutorial. Uh, I must explain that at University of Toronto at that point, the tutorial was the whole center of the teaching program. You'd have um, lectures, but also tutorials. That is, a group of, say, 10 or so would gather uh, weekly and discuss the issues at hand. So Carl Berger was leading a tutorial in Canadian history, and uh, he was it was really something. This was an eye-opener because here, this young man, he was using original sources. That is, we yes, we'd read books and articles and, and what have you, but we'd also read original sources. Those are eyewitness accounts and what have you. 19th century Canada, uh, for example. Um, I did my report on a late 19th century thinker, public intellectual, I guess you'd call him today. His name was Goldwyn Smith. And... Um, well, that was it. I mean, original sources, fantastic. Now, what Carl would do is the we'd he'd push us. This is a terrific. I mean, to be exposed to this approach at that stage, it wasn't just description and narrative, which uh, uh, it's fine in itself. But where's the 
something that he, he pushed us, made us really take that material and squeeze all the information we could get out of it. Well, I did my best on the essay on Golden Smith, and I received B++. <laughs> that was an original. Well, not B+, but B++, like I'm a whisker away. So naturally, that was a good teaching device. I worked my butt off for the final. And yes, happiness, happy ending. I received an A as my final grade in the Canadian history course. And uh, I, I learned so much. It was just terrific. So I'm certainly an open now to Canadian history after taking that tutorial with Carl Berger. After that year, summer of 67, it was a golden opportunity. Expo, the World's Fair. The Canada, celebrating its 100th birthday, celebrated it by inviting the world to Montreal. And we had this fantastic exposition, World Fair. And I was very, very fortunate to be able to attend and to, well, actually to work there in the Ontario Pavilion or the Ontario Building and at Expo. And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But first, why was this? I was so lucky, actually, to be appointed because my French was not good at this point. It was pretty feeble. And I tried for the Canadian Pavilion, but uh, didn't get anywhere. That was uh, I just didn't have the language skills. Unfort very fortunately for me, Ontario, the, the language barrier was not as high. And, um, well, I did. I got in. Thank heavens. So that's all set. Now, why was this? Why did this resonate so much for me, this opportunity to be in Montreal in 67? Well, I think basically the major reason was in high school, I had had the opportunity of going to New York, of going to the United Nations, and it, it was just an eye-opener, just a, an, a, an entree into the world. And this is such a follow-up. 63, I was on what was called the Pilgrimage for Youth. It was sponsored by a fraternal organization, the Independent Order of Oddfellows and Rebecca's, the Oddfellows male division, Rebecca's being the female, and they sponsored students across, high school students across North America to go to the United Nations. And you had to do a test um, on your knowledge of the United Nations. And yours truly, I was top dog in my hometown of Oakville. <laughs> to be quite honest, I don't know how many applied. Uh, there was a couple of us, but anyways, not a huge number, but anyways, I, I scored high and I got the nod. So I was the representative of Oakville, Ontario, in the Ontario bus to the United Nations. And this is extraordinary. 40 high school, like grade 12 students, uh, grade uh, senior high school students off to New York City. And it wasn't just New York City. The Oddfellows and Rebecca sent us first to Ottawa. We passed through Montreal, down in New York City. After that, Philadelphia. After that, Washington, D.C. And all kinds of stops along the way. Just an incredible experience. Well, Oh, yes. At the United Nations, that was an eye-opener because we, we viewed sessions and all. I, I remember our, uh, some of us, we went to this session on colonialism, which is sort of a new concept for high school me. Um, and that was another other sessions is too, and learning about the organizations, the various uh, aspects and components of the United Nations. It was terrific. The highlight was this. We got to meet delegations and um, a, a group of us actually can't tell you how many, probably about a dozen. We were able to meet the Turkish and Greek 
delegation, uh, representatives from their delegations. And uh, of course, Turkey and Greece, this is like, these are the United Nations representatives of these two countries in the United Nations. And, well, that was an eye opener to hear these two groups talk about Cyprus. My gosh. So it was an introduction of like already I'm pumped up for the world, but uh, even more so after that trip. And um, the interest in the world, well, that goes way back to high school. My, my dad was involved in the African Students Foundation and it was um, helped uh, African students come to Canada and um, get their university and all. It was in the early 60s. And we used to have uh, African visitors every oh, month or so for dinner in Oakville, uh, African students. And so I was, I was close. It's an international thing. And my dad took me to talks in Toronto, um, uh, a member Tom Maboya, he was a Kenyan labor leader. Uh, this was in, well, I guess it was grade 10. I remember hearing him at Hart House. My dad drove in. And also he took me to hear Alan Patton, the great South, Amer South African novelist, who his uh, uh, iconic work is 1948, the Cry, uh, Cry the Beloved Country. It's just a fantastic book, just about predicting apartheid and it, it very powerful book. So I heard Alan Patton in Toronto. I heard Tom Boy and my my dad and and the African students coming and uh, once a week and all. Or excuse me, my once a month. All this was just more logs to the fire. My interest in international affairs was so deep. Um, this is all before Expo. So I just wanted to explain that um, at the University of Toronto. I kept up that international interest. I went to a CUSO national meeting in Montreal in uh, second year. Um, that nor another influence. I mean, I'm trying to explain, build up the international aspect because that, that's what I was in the beginning. Um, I remember that CUSO conference. It was at Sir George Williams University. That's how far back it is. Sir George later joined with Loyola to become Concordia in Montreal. So this that that's far back. And this is mid-60s. And I remember so much that CUSO conference. Um, uh, I got a ride with some other Japs going down. It was in the Studebaker. Doesn't that date it? Uh, but I also remember most prominently one of the lecturers. His name was Bernard Fall, and he was he was writing a very in depth, incisive works on Vietnam. And um, I remember him so well because he gave this very eloquent talk about how the Americans were making the same mistakes the French had made. 10 years earlier, and it was just a mess. And that was Bernard Fall at the CUSO conference. I remember that so well. And then the tragic news shortly after, a year or so after, that young, well, Bernard Fall, what happened? I, I, I just must add this postscript because it's, it's so poignant. He died, blown up by landmine in Vietnam, died, age 40. So, but I remember, so powerful, really. Now, also at University of Toronto, just to get this international interest developed, I was a member of the World University Service of Canada, um, internationally minded group, and um, actually was the president for the final year at university, 1967-68, but that's after, that's after Expo. That's now, we, I've taken the story up to Expo, this wonderful experience I had, and honestly, to die for. Um, what at Expo, I was I really felt badly about this weakness in French, because well, it just wasn't. <laughs> others were good. The others in the pavilion were pretty darn good, but I was determined to get up to speed. And so um, my dad again, my 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 parents were so supportive. I mean, honestly, of all of this, but my dad with a French language, he used to listen. He he learned French by records through records on the weekend in Oakville, Ontario. <laughs> 
extraordinary. I remember the name of the series, the Asamil Records uh, series, Learn French Without Pain was a series. And he listened to these on the weekend. So I knew if dad could do it, I could do it. So I applied myself that summer. I read a dictionary, French-English dictionary, cover to cover. Um, read Le Devoir and La, La, La Presse. Two great Montreal papers, and um, went to, uh, working at the Ontario Pavilion as a guide, that, guiding people around and all, and helping with um, other aspects of the pavilion. There were actually about fifty of us. Um, well, I was able to have lunch at the Quebec Pavilion, and so I, I, I was really working full blast on this, keeping the heat up. Boy, did I ever make mistakes in the beginning? I'll tell you. And uh, the funniest one is. Um, the Canadian Pavilion was just northwest of the Ontario Pavilion. The Ontario Pavilion was very distinctive. It uh, looked, uh, oh, just great design. We got a lot of accolades for that. Sort of like a series of teepees, uh, just a very, very prominent, uh, striking building. Just northwest of us was the Canadian Pavilion. And uh, obviously, there'll be a lot of business going through us on the way to the Canadian Pavilion. And um, one of my jobs was to stand there and make sure everybody knew the the, the route you take, the, the the pathway that you had to follow to go to the Canadian Pavilion. And so in the first couple of weeks there, I was, I was out there saying very confidently, um, suivez la santé, suivez la santé. I thought I was saying, follow the path, suivez la, la santé, santé. <laughs> My accent is still something, but I think you've got the message there. I'm not saying santé, I'm saying santé. I'm saying, instead of path, I'm saying health. And so here's this guy in a terrible pavilion suit out there telling people follow health follow health <laughs> and just it's hilarious when you think about it well well fortunate fortunately a francophone hostess uh, in our pavilion she took me aside and gave me a briefing but it was funny it's in retrospect it's funny another one was real indication of my lack of language skills was charles de gaulle came to canada uh, the very famous incident and um, i knew he was going to speak in Montreal. And so I went to a special visit to the French Pavilion to ask where was he going to speak. And I was told he was going to speak at the Hotel de Ville. Uh, oh, gosh, that's too bad. I'd never heard of that hotel. Uh, but what, he was, what the French Pavilion had told me was he was going to speak at the City Hall. Hotel de Ville is City Hall. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I missed De Gaulle giving his Vive le Quebec Libre speech because I thought it was a, 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 I thought it was an hotel and I never heard of the hotel, but it's in the City Hall. I could have easily been there. Oh, alas. At Expo, another important development. I mean, there's 60 countries. I mean, all these pavilions and meeting all these people. What an experience. But for my later career, a very significant aspect of Expo was the Indians of Canada Pavilion. This was the first time publicly the Canadian government had, had provided the funding uh, for First Nations people, Indigenous people, to tell their own story, which they did eloquently. And um, to their credit, the federal government went along with it. And there was a very strong Native voice or Indigenous voice in the Indians of Canada Pavilion it was an eye opener, and the art was superb. They had very, very fine Native art and, and interpretation, and it was great. So I, I, I'd worked in a railway gang the previous summer, '66, in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and worked with Indigenous people, young, young, young chaps, 
And uh, so I, I had an introduction to Indigenous Canada, but the, the pavilion was really, really good. It sort of backed it up. But I'm still an internationalist. I'm not yet on um, a Canadianist. It was just information in the background. Um, but a formative influence on me was the Indians of, Can- of Canada Pavilion. Well, back to UOT. And I've, I've mentioned a bit of that. I did World University Service. Um, um, the, the committee on campus, um, and I also worked on um, French Canadian Cultural Festival we had in early 1968, because I'm really keen on Quebec. I mean, it, it fascinated me. Um, I really, really wanted to develop that further. Well, I did. I had a chance. Uh, end of fourth year, I wanted to Uh, keep up my French, which I put a lot of time into, but still pretty rusty. I really, I mean, like, not far. Uh, I was okay. I could discuss things and what have you, but not not with the eloquence I would have liked. I still I still would like a, a certain eloquence, uh, a more eloquent approach, but I'm, unfortunately in Alberta, I don't have a chance to practice too much. Uh, in any case, um, I decided I was going to go to Laval in Quebec City and uh, do my master's there. And actually, it, it's tr- it's hard to believe now because I've spent so much time in Canadian history and so much time in the Indigenous history that hard to believe that originally I was thinking that perhaps I could do some aspect of world history at Laval, and uh, but that didn't turn out. Um, I, I went to Laval and uh, turned out there. No, the, the, what you do at Laval is Canadian history because they're very strong in it. They got lots of professors, and. Um, It, it, the backup was great. So uh, what I did was uh, Canadian history at Laval, uh, French language university in Quebec City. Now, that summer, though, it was really fun. And I can't resist a couple of stories for you, at least two. Oh, maybe a little more than two. First is, I wanted to, I didn't like Pierre-Alec Trudeau. Uh, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not talking about personally. I just didn't like his ideas about Quebec. He was very non-conciliatory. He was, didn't want any compromises with Quebec and uh, special rights, special powers and all. I'd re- already been converted to that by independentist friends of mine at, at Expo. So I was a little bit, um, I, I wasn't strident or anything, but I just thought Quebec should get an audience for its ideas about how Canada should be transformed. And, um, Trudeau wasn't um, so keen on that, so I I supported Stanfield, the Conservative candidate, that he as as Prime Minister, and I I even found a, a, in the riding I was lived in Central Quebec, I went to the headquarters of the Conservative Party and just said, "Can I help?" Well, cheapers, no way. I mean, my French wasn't polished enough to to be of any help at all. But the gentleman I told, spoke to. His name was Michel Cogger, and he's Michel, French, yes, but uh, Cogger, Irish. He was, um, well, he was both Irish and French and all. And anyways, Michel, he, he told me I had a friend that perhaps could help me, and that he ran the uh, the um, Musée de Four, the, the museum, Musée de Four, the museum about the Battle of the Plains of Abraham. It's right off to the Shadow Frontenac. He ran it. It was his. And he said, look, I why don't you go see my friend, Tony Price? And he might be able to do something for you, you know, because I had to get some work or something. I'm going to go start the master's program in the fall. So anyways, he sent me over and Tony Price, to his credit, gave me a position. I did a, helped with the manual on the Battle of the Plains of Abraham and had a wonderful week there. A week I'll never forget because while I was there, news came one day one of the uh, during the week i was there that robert kennedy had been assassinated in los angeles so i'll always remember that that uh, awful 
Well, uh, yeah, so I've done the, I've got the job at the Musée de Four. Now we're into um, June. I've got to get something. It's only for a week. Tony had said he'd give me something to keep the wolves at the door, a phrase which I've always remembered since then. But then there, I have to get something else. So I, I searched around and there was a job as a pumpiste, that is a service station attendant. And not far from downtown, uh, well, not far, a couple miles, but I, 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 I thought that was okay. So I, I tried for the, uh, but the interview was postponed, and that was just again the gods are intervening. They intervene many times in yours truly's life. I was walking on Grand Allee, the great street in Quebec, and along Grand Allee I saw Berlitz Language School. I saw a sign. Well. I'd been a door-to-door salesman after first-year university. The best experience I could ever have had for marketing. Nothing's harder than door-to-door sales. It was fuller brush. And I'd done that for a year, a summer, and done quite well. And and, and I wouldn't go bananas about it, but I did enjoy large parts of it. You meet a lot of people and you have to sell yourself and all that. So anyways, with that background... I had the self-confidence to simply go up to the Berlitz School and ask if there were any jobs. It seemed so naive, teaching English at Berlitz, just coming off the street. Well, it was just right. The timing was perfect. They hired me. Two months. One month in Quebec City, one month in Chicoutimi, up in Lac-Saint-Jean, 200 kilometers northeast of Quebec. So, what an experience that was. One of my students at Berlitz was the the janitor or caretaker, be a better word, of the Musée de Cire, the Wax Museum in Quebec. It's no longer there. It was there. It was like Madame Tussaud in London. It's uh, all these um, historic figures in wax. And he, well, he was a good guy. He was on the third floor. He had a suite up on the third floor. And um, he said, look, I was sort of a week or more in Quebec City. Well, if you want to have a place to stay, you can stay up in my quarters. I got a guest room. So I stayed in the wax museum for... um, well, the, that that period before I went off to Shikunami. And I'm telling you, this was freaky. Um, it, it, you're coming back to the, the your lodgings and you have to go through three floors or when it was two floors of wax figures, historic figures. I saw um, Champlain. I'm coming home and I'm going up uh, up to the lodgings on the third floor. So I saw Champlain. Um, I saw Wolf writing his last letter, uh, Montcalm, all these figures from Canadian history. I've seen them as if, and, and having a very vivid imagination, you can imagine the impact. This was unbelievable. Uh, all walking through Canadian history. Well, with that experience, my interest in Canadian history was becoming even more intense. And then there was the fact that Laval, that really was the field I'd have to stay in because they had the most opportunities in that field. So I did. Uh, So thanks to the job at Berlitz, I didn't have to take the station attendant one. And uh, also I got up to Shikunami. And there, this grand finale will come with two stories, unique stories. I opened the door and wow, these are just Hollywood. This is Hollywood. I taught in Shikudami, and I had a student, and he was a Haitian, a Haitian professional. I think he was a teacher, um, very, very well-spoken. Um, and he had um, a, a good friends in New York, actually. He was 
perhaps it was a friend of his or perhaps it was his own friend. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I wrote a great letter to my parents afterwards. That's the only reason I do have these pretty full details, but not, not technical details. Um, in any case, from the letter that I wrote back to my parents, I can tell you the basics of it. My Haitian friend invited me, his uh, acquaintance, the Congolese ambassador to the United Nations. Now, that's not Zaire. That's not the former Belgian Congo. That's the former French Congo, which is the headquarters, the capitals at Brazzaville. Anyways, the Congolese ambassador of Congo Brazzaville was coming up to Lac Saint-Jean and he invited me to make the tour of Lac Saint-Jean with them. And of course, well, why not? Eh? Well, so if I, I joined them, the Congolese ambassador, his wife, um, his entourage, which um, his chauffeur was, was unbelievable. He was a... a, a Black, I'm going to say it was a black Cadillac, but uh, I could stand corrected on that. But it was a very impressive limousine. And there were other cars in the entourage. Um, his chauffeur, by the way, was part North American Indian. Uh, hard to believe, right? <laughs> but he was. He was part um, oh, extraordinary. And later, I'd spend a good part of my life working on an individual who was part African-American and part Native American and part um, European. His name was Chief Buffalo Joe Longlands, but that's all. I don't have any inkling. This is all well, well before that. that I eventually did a biography of him. A biography. And, well, anyways, he's going to be an episode. Don't worry. He'll get the full story. Okay. Um, so we're on the... In the now, Lac Saint-Jean, there's not many African Canadians uh, up in the Lac Saint-Jean. There wasn't them. Uh, and it was... I was in the group... Um, I've, I'll say a dozen people. I think there was another was a, um, non-African-American, white woman, as well, uh, as, and myself. We, uh, but that was it. And the rest were African um, heritage. Um, so it was incredible because it, this little isolate, these little towns around Lac Saint-Jean, this is a tour. We're going around the lake. It's a big lake. It takes a day. And the little towns we stopped, they just, I'd be in the middle of the group. They just, I just understood what it was like to be a minority because they're all looking and just, what they just, fascinating then the congolese ambassador was good actually wonderful french and uh, very just just a terrific experience could never so I, the haitian friend wow that was so so kind of him former student and i was only there a couple of weeks but um what a what a kind gesture um another one was um at berlitz Sukudami, i had another student he was um uh he was the school teacher principal of the school at an Indian reserve in uh, north of Joliet, north of Montreal, at, at a place called Manawan. There's no, well, there was an access route. It was a logging route. But um, otherwise, you had to um, get in and out by plane. Anyways, he was going back with his family to the reserve. It's Manawan. It's, Manawan is a Tikamak reserve. And um, anyways, it's very isolated, Manawan. And he invited me to go back with his family. He did that every fall. He took the load up the car and take all their possessions in for the year. So I spent, um, uh, very lucky, uh, several days at Manawan, a Tikamak reserve in a very, very isolated part of Quebec. So, gosh, um, international is still strong, but uh, Canada, and particularly Indigenous people, Indigenous history was really taken off in my brain. And in fact, just before I entered Laval's MA program, I figured it out. That's what I would look at. In the, an, an indigenous aspect of Canadian history, an indigenous aspect of the history of French Canada, of, of New France, the colonial period. That's what I did my thesis on. And that really takes us home to port.
By that, I mean, takes us up to this episode three. It was at Laval that I discovered a topic that became a passion for years until I completed my biography of the individual in 1990. I discovered, oh, I didn't discover because I'd already heard about him, but I came across all these books by a chap called Grey Owl, Ibu Gris. And this was extraordinary because I, I was preparing on the study of French Canadian historical writing. So I thought it was pretty good by a couple of months into it, pretty sharp and knew the literature and all. But by chance, I went from the F section where Canadian history was into the PS section, which was where literature was. And I discovered all these books in French by Grey Owl in the late, in the 1930s, all these French titles. I never heard it. I, I, I just didn't, it didn't ring. It didn't, who is he? I'm supposed to know all this and I don't even know. Who's this grail running in French? Well, then there's always, it was a distant response. Something echoed in my brain and I remembered a friend of mine in public school, in oral composition, pretty sure it was grade six, Rick Luckett. I can even provide his name. I haven't seen him for decades, but he had done a class report on Grey Owl. And um, so I remember that Grey Owl, um, uh, reinvented himself, and um, he, he did very successfully because when he died in April on April thirteenth, nineteen thirty eight, the Globe and Mail called him Canada's uh, most famous of all Canadian Indians. And the long and short of it is, he wasn't. He was born Archie Bellany in Hastings, England. Well, I was just knocked over by that. I really was. So I did my MA thesis, had a great supervisor, uh, two, Pierre Savard and Jacques Rousseau, an ethnologist, a botanist who traveled across on Gaba half a dozen times, in, like with the First Nations and canoes and everything, snowshoes, everything. He was incredible. I had a private seminar with him. So I got wonderful support there. And I also was introduced to this topic, which I felt deserve further study. And what really turns my crank, to use that, that phrase, is detective work. I resolved that winter, well, finished my MA thesis, then perhaps um, tried to enter a doctoral program, and um, well, heck, also prepare something on Grey Owl. And eventually I did, and had the good fortune to present my paper on him in 1970 at the annual meeting of the Ontario Historical Society. And Ontario History published my first academic article in Canadian history in the following year. And of course, it's on Grail. And that's the subject of episode three. Thank you.